I think that there are gems locked up in the stories that women never tell. So for while it was scary to write a book at this stage, at this age, um, ultimately, if I did not, it would be it would be a disservice to women from my generation, and it would be in service to the patriarchy. Welcome to Newsweek Conversations. I'm here with Elaine Welteroth. Elaine, you were the first African-American to serve as a beauty editor at Condé Nast. You were the second African-American to hold the title of editor-in-chief on any title. And you were the youngest editor-in-chief in Condé Nast history. And it, as if that's not enough, you've written a book, More Than Enough. The book's been optioned for a television show. Uh, and you're currently a judge on Project Runway. Did I, did I miss anything? It seems pretty impressive already. Well, I will actually, I will <laughs> You'll say... You'll correct me already, perfect. Well, no, I'll say that actually, I think my biggest accomplishment is yeah. that I'm no longer the youngest editor-in-chief in Connie Nassau Oh, that's history. true. That's and true. And a new editor-in-chief who is even younger and who is also a black woman. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, what I'd love to do here is sort of start at the beginning and move through kind of like you did in your book. Um, so, you know, you grew up in California. Um, what was it like growing Northern up? Northern California, not Southern California. <laughs> There's a difference. There is. Those who know, know. There, there is a big difference. Um, what was it like uh, growing up as, as one of the few girls of color um, in the area in which you lived? You know, so I wrote this chapter in my book called White Paper Family, which yep. I think purpose, perfectly encapsulates what it feels like to um, kind of learn for the first time that you're different or other, you know, because you're, you're not born black or white. You're not born even, you know, boy or girl. Someone tells you who you are. They label you. And um, over time, you sort of fall you fall in line and you you sort of uh there's stereotypes that are sort of put onto you right and um i remember being in preschool it was this is my first memory in in life was being in preschool and being given an assignment at school where we had to create a family collage and i just remember every at, and at that point i didn't have race i didn't have gender i was just like a kid living living in the world and having a ball but in that moment i remember all the kids just opening magazines and cutting out people and i was just like flipping through these magazines and i realized there's no one in these magazines that actually looks like me or my family and there was an interesting thing that happened in that moment i mean i remember this feeling of shame and i remember just feeling embarrassed and hot like my skin was hot to the touch and and I didn't want to be different. I felt I felt for the first time what it was to be other. And um, so I, I just looked around and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna do what everyone else is doing. I'm gonna cut out white people. <laughs> and so I did and I started making my white paper family and a teacher comes up to me and says like, like she's, it's sort of awkward. She realizes like what's going on here. This girl has a complex. She thinks she's white. This is this is awkward. And um, tries to point me in the direction of like the sole black girl in one of these magazines. And she's like, "Why about her? You look just like her." Of course, I look nothing like her. So I just ignored her and kept going. 
And I came home with my white paper family and my mother, who is a very proud black woman, took one look at it and said, Houston, we have a problem. And she sat me down at the table with my brother and pulled out Ebony and Essence magazines and made us redo the assignment together. And um, she let me keep my, my dad is white, but he's a carpenter. And I made him this like suave GQ dude with a suitcase and uh, with, with a briefcase and like this suit kind of like yours which he he's literally never worn in his life <laughs> and she's like i'm gonna let you keep him but that's just as much of a lie as that little white girl <laughs> that you made yourself um and and so then she put that uh picture up on my bedroom wall and it was the first thing i saw every morning it was the last thing i saw every night and it became this reminder of who we are who i am and this reminder to have pride in that regardless of what the magazines said um about me and yeah and i think I think it captures. So you, you wrote about that in the book. I and, did. And yeah. One of the things that I that moved me was the gentle way in which your mother did that. Yeah. You know, she was very. She didn't say, "You did a terrible job." Right. She said, "You know, that's that's well, you can say it in your own words, but she was empowering in the way that she communicated with you." Absolutely. About it. Yeah. yeah, it was a loving redirection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I thought was great because yeah. it can go the other way. Yeah, and <laughs> easily. I, it, it could, but I think what was important about that moment in in hindsight is that sometimes the things that hurt us the most are the things that instill a passion or a purpose into us. It, and so, you know, I, it's 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 like it's not a coincidence that I grew up and one day became an editor of a magazine and that I felt this charge and this fire in my belly to make sure that the pages were in that magazine were more reflective of what the world really looks like because I knew what it was like to be a young girl looking through a magazine and not seeing myself and what that felt like and what that did to my self-esteem over time. So I think, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something that ultimately I think empowered me in my career. Yeah. Um, something else I learned from your book was that uh, fashion can, you know, and certainly I'd say Teen Vogue was a little bit like this before you were involved. Fashion can be skin deep, but it's you certainly explained to me how it is. It can be empowering, mm -hmm. and it can be self-affirming, and it can give you agency. When was the first time you really felt that about fashion and about how it can be a force to help you become who you are today? Mm. I, you ask me this as I'm looking at your frames yes. that are like very cool <laughs> thank you have a little flair I, i'm here for it in your socks super colorful um I, I, from you <laughs> he's just he's not just a man in a suit y'all it's all it's all in the details um he knows what's up no i i don't know if there was a singular moment um i i do remember watching my mother transform in front of the mirror before church um, on Sundays or, you know, in, in, in the car on, in, in like, if anyone follows me on Instagram, you know that I do backseat beat. Like I'm always in a cab going somewhere and I'm always doing my makeup in the backseat. Get that from my mom who would drive me to school and like at the red lights, she'd stop and she'd put her lipstick on in the rearview mirror. And I just remember the way that like that transformation, that outward transformation completely altered the way that she walked, it altered the way that she felt. It it helped her project confidence, and uh, she. I think from that I got inspired, uh, and I started to think about 
the role that beauty plays and the role that fashion plays, um, particularly for women, but I think for everyone, um, it, it, it's a signal to the world it, it's a signal that tells the world how you want to be seen, how you want to be approached. And, and, and I think in that regard, in a world like ours, it can be a powerful tool um, to help kind of counteract those messages that sometimes make you feel like you're not enough um, or you're not, you're, not, you know, you're not enough of something. And I think so many women in particular carry that because it's an internalized message that we've been conditioned to believe for generations so think anything that we can do um to make us feel like we can do anything or make us feel like our most confident version of ourselves i think is a, is a powerful tool and i think beauty and fashion happen to be one of them and that's not to say if you don't like lipstick you're not a confident woman but you know we all have different different kind of tools and tricks in our back pocket that make us feel like our best selves and so i think i inherited the the love of of personal style from my mom and for her it definitely was a part of her confidence it certainly was a learning experience for me to learn how you could use those things to make yourself sort of go out in the world and be better and stronger for yeah. it i just well, hadn't thought of it like that i i think and actually i think i want to amend my, my answer because i when i think about the aspects of beauty or fashion that have made me feel most empowered it's actually not about putting anything on it's about actually taking it off and and i remember for a lot of my career when I dealt with what I think a lot of people of color in predominantly white spaces deal with, which is what I call the assimilation syndrome, where you are, you're made to feel that your natural state is not professional enough, um, it's not acceptable, it's not beautiful. Um, I think when you're made to feel that way, you shrink and you hide parts of yourself um, and that's reflected in your beauty regimen. You might wear your hair straight, you might pull it back because you don't want it to distract from your intelligence or your authority. And I did that for a good chunk of my career. And I think when I felt most powerful is when I started to embrace my natural hair texture, which is up right now. Which So some of you guys probably were like, who I'm is so she? Because people didn't know. I'm like, so disappointed. I know. I'm sorry. I put it up in a bun today. But, but usually my hair is really, really big and curly. And it wasn't always that way. But for me, it's become over time, over my career, as I've gotten more comfortable with who I am and comfortable in my skin and comf comfortable finding my voice, my hair has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so like it went from, you know, it, my biggest moments in life, I, I had to have my hair straight because to me, that was the Eurocentric kind of standard of beauty and that's what would be most acceptable and most special. So for interviews, I'd pull my, I'd either have it straight or pull my hair back. And now it's like a special day, it means the, the bigger, the better. And that doesn't mean today's not special. It just means I wanted a nice snatch today. That's all that means. Um, you took a, a different route to university than you originally hoped, shall we say, yeah. which you can talk as much or a little better as you want. But I'm sort of interested, you ended up going to Cal State um, uh, uh, rather than you really wanted to apply for Stanford and you never did. Yeah. Um, how do you think that's affected you? Because, I mean, there are things that you learn from being in not such an elite institution that you wouldn't learn from yep. being in such an elite institution. Yeah. So now you are where you are and you're looking back on your whole life Regrets? No regrets? What do you? How do you think that's affected your life today? Yeah, no regrets. Yay! However, I will say uh, it used to be my biggest regret. I grew up aspiring to go to Stanford, and then I fell in love, 